A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Pleased to introduce our next guest, attorney, mother, entrepreneur, author, and powerhouse, Laura Wasser. She is the divorce lawyer to the stars, Kim Kardashian, Britney Spears, you name it. But in many ways, in my humble opinion, she's doing God's work, helping change the face of divorce, which she calls the great equalizer. She empowers people to take charge of their own fate. From what it feels like and everything I've read about you, it's like divorce can kind of feel like doomsday. And I feel like you're kind of changing that narrative. And that is amazing and beautiful and unconventional. And we're so happy to have you. Thank you for Welcome having me. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. So the first question we always ask our guests is, what is your definition of fulfillment? And what is your definition of success? And are they at all intertwined? I feel like they're totally intertwined. I feel like fulfillment is more kind of a I don't know, an end game. Like, are you fulfilled? And, you know, I turned 55 this year. My oldest son started college. I feel like every night when I go to bed, I feel pretty fulfilled. I'm not ready to be done yet, but I do feel like if God forbid something were to happen to me tomorrow, I would know that like I did what I needed to do for the most part. I still have a 13 year old. He needs a little bit of shaping too. (laughs) But I think that in terms of fulfillment, success I feel is a little bit different because I think as you're getting to your fulfillment, you start to define and redefine success. I feel very much that, you know, raising my children, maintaining the friendships that I've had for decades, not just friendships with my, you know, girl and guy friends that I grew up with here in Los Angeles, but also the friendships that I've made through my work that I'm coming on 30 years now. That to me is greater success than the money part of it. And I think that was, again, with the fulfillment dovetailing, I don't know that I would have said that when I was in my 30s or 40s, but I feel like being able to kind of look at my firm that I'm managing partner of, look at the work that we've done over the years. And as you were saying, Jasmine, kind of changing the face of divorce. Because if you think about it, the statistics are that 50% of the people that get married get divorced. If it's happening that much, don't we have to kind of make it less of a taboo and more of a next chapter and how do we learn and build from our relationships? So to me, that is the success that I think is is important that builds to the fulfillment that I feel at the end of each day. 
That's beautiful. So your success and fulfillment goes back to impact, right? It's not just about, you know, making money or doing all these things. It's like changing the narrative of what divorce means. Yes, to a certain extent. And and maybe just one person by one person. I don't know that it's always going to be, I mean, I would even back it up further and say, changing the idea of what marriage is. I really, really try to speak particularly to young women about what they are kind of contemplating when they're getting into a marriage. Because prenups, for example, and I don't believe everybody needs one, but I do believe that everybody should have the kind of communication prior to getting married that you would have if you were doing a prenup. And I feel like so many people say, well, that's isn't that just negotiating your divorce and it's so unromantic. But the fact is that when you get married, you're entering into a contract. And if you don't even know what the terms of that contract are, how are you expected to kind of be able to live up to those terms, opt out of those terms, or if you end up getting divorced, adhere to those terms? So I think it's important. I think it all has to do with communication and education. So that's why I, I speak so often and fly around to different places. It's not really just, oh, divorce is great. Don't feel bad if you get divorced. It's what are we doing in our relationships from the beginning? What are we thinking about them? How are we maintaining them? How are we communicating? What kind of tools do we need? And how are we raising children to hopefully do better than we did in the relationships that we had as we were growing up, maturing and becoming parents? Well, that really speaks to me. I mean, she's married. I'm dating someone very seriously. And I have a lot of friends who are both single or dating, contemplating this is the one. I would love to hear your thoughts on the one. And if you even think that exists on monogamy, if you even think that is like a natural human tendency. I don't. I think it was a natural human tendency when people died in their 30s. <laughs> I think that, and I I have friends now that are celebrating 20, 25 year anniversaries and God bless them. I, and, I, and they're great. They're great couples. They're so strong. I love being with both of them, but I don't necessarily think that that is the first thing that we as humans were meant for till death do us part. I think there are lucky people that fall in love and they stay in love and they evolve and they grow together and they are blessed. I think for most people, we go through so many different evolutions and often we evolve away from each other as our kids get older or as we have kids, I see a lot of people splitting up because they parent differently and they just can't make it work. As the kids get older and leave the nest, it changes. And so, no, I don't necessarily think it's the normal condition. I think we all strive for it, but if it doesn't work, do you stay in that unhappy relationship just because that was your marriage and that was the one it was supposed to be? Or do you evolve, you part friends, you part co-parents, and you go find someone or something else that makes you happy as you continue your evolution as a human? Yeah. And I feel like that's really freeing. I was actually talking about this with a friend of mine yesterday. And I come from parents that are still together. And so does she. And she, I guess, had a discussion with someone else whose parents had been divorced multiple times. And she was like, you know, as much as it's nice to look at my parents, you know, solid foundation, they're a great couple, et cetera. It's almost puts more pressure on the decision you're going to make because a lot of my friends and myself included are overthinking, is this the right person? Because we're so afraid of doomsday, which is divorce. But is that really doomsday? Like, can we just be like, that made me happy for this time. And then I'm going to move on to the next chapter of my life, right. as you said. Well, of course, I'm a big proponent of that. Because for me, the biggest decision that you're making when you're kind of coupling with somebody is at, at your age is, 
is am I going to procreate? Am I going to have kids with them? Mm-hmm. And for me, it was much more important that I found people that were going to be good co-parents than it was that I was going to find somebody that I was going to spend the rest of my life with. So I knew that they'd be good co-parents. I also kind of inside knew that they weren't going to be the person I'd spend the rest of my life with. And I knew that that would be okay too. They didn't know that at the time, <laughs> but they came to it and like, we all get along really well and it's, and it's great. And we've raised really well-adjusted kids as a result of it. But I definitely think that that is the thing you want to focus on because you don't want to be embroiled in battles for 18 plus years. And I'm here to tell you with an almost 19 year old, it doesn't end when they turn 18. I mean, he called me from Rome 20 minutes before I left to come here and he was like, my phone broke. And I was like, and like, like, why are you calling me? Right. You're in Rome, figure it out. <laughs> you know, you've got two different credit cards, you've got an allowance. Yeah. So, but you know, and it, and it goes on and then they have kids. And, you know, I remember my parents being like, wait, you're having a baby. You're not married to him. How's this going to work? Because there is a lot of pressure for you, especially if your parents are together, because that generation, especially if they've stayed together, they don't get it. And they'll say, like, I remember I was married very briefly and I was married, I think for like 14 months. And I, when I went to my parents after this huge, super expensive wedding at the Beller Hotel and said like, oh, it's not working out. They basically said, and your parents are probably one generation lower, but in between us, they said, well, does he beat you? No. Does he drink too much? No. Did he cheat on you? No. What's the problem? Like, why wouldn't you just stay with that person? He seems like a good husband, you know? Right, that is the mentality. So, Yeah, I think one of the most important things in a relationship, well, I'm biased, but I actually said this in our vows, like expansiveness and being able to evolve together. Like, I feel like, as you were talking about, very blessed to have met someone that has evolved with me in every single chapter. And in my vows, I mentioned that, like, I feel like all of us in life, we're always climbing up a mountain. Like, that's the goal, to just, like, keep climbing the mountain. And it's fine to, like, for you to keep climbing, but to find a partner who can climb with you, not only like with you on the mountain, but at the same pace. So like when you're going through your peaks and valleys, they're right there with you. When you're coasting, they're coasting, right? If I get into like one thing or a new passion of mine, they're interested to learn, they're curious and whatever, and we can evolve together. I think that's such a beautiful characteristic of it because as you said, we're, we're not the same people that we started out in our marriage. And if you can evolve together, you end up by being stuck and that creates resentment and all the other emotions. Yes. So, but how do you, for people who are in a position where they feel stuck and not in the right place and not able to evolve and, but they care about what society thinks and judgment and all that, like, what would you say to them? Because it is still taboo, right? To like, have a divorce and nothing's wrong. They didn't cheat on you. They didn't do this. What advice would you give to them to just like move on, move forward with their life and not care so much about society's noise and judgment? That would be the advice. Don't care so much about society's noise and judgment. I would also make sure, I mean, again, I'm in the fortunate position of practicing family law in Southern California. So everybody's in therapy. They're in joint therapy. They're in family therapy. They're in therapy by themselves. And I do not profess to be the therapist. I mean, I say so often, I'm like, I, at my hourly rate, you don't want me being your therapist. Go see a therapist. They're way less expensive and they're trained to do this. You want to make sure that the communication and the tools are there to be able to get through those peaks and valleys. Sometimes maybe you get through it. I mean, I've seen people go through terrible situations, like cheating. Somebody cheats. Isn't that awful? Isn't it embarrassing? Talk about the judgment of that. A woman, for example, that stays with a man who's cheated on her and all of the community knows, and isn't that horrible, whatever. Or if you're a celebrity and they're photographed, how do you get through that? You get through it. 
if you decide that you have the ability to evolve and change and whatever, you get through it. And so I think you have to let go of some of those ideas of what's okay and what's right and really be able to like listen to your heart. And I think that therapy can really help with that. And I do, I also think if you're going to get married, you should work on having those tools because you know at some point you're going to be in a valley. And so if you know that that's going to happen at some point during the rosy period where you're picking your dress and your music and your flowers and, and your cake, figure out a way to get through the more unpleasant times, figure out what those communication tools are that you need to get through them. I think that that can be really helpful. So I feel like by definition, you probably have already acknowledged this within yourself. You're a lawyer, but you're living very unconventionally, right? You're not like living by traditional standards. Right. Do you think it was your career that has shaped your like, I don't want to live by these rules or experience? Or were you always like true to your heart? Like I'm not going to like you even said husband or partner didn't know that you were just thinking about procreating. Was that always something innate to you? Like I'm just going to live my own path and I don't need to follow this? Or is it through experience of what you've seen where you're like, I don't need to do that? I think it's a combination. I don't think, I mean, look, I'm a girly girl. I grew up here. Like I planned that wedding in 1993. I planned the shit out of that wedding. It was so beautiful. (laughs) I mean, there were two different dresses. The flowers were gorgeous. My picture of me and my 10 bridesmaids hung in the wedding office of the Bel Air Hotel so much longer than my marriage lasted. <laughs> I mean, it, and, and I loved it, but I, but I definitely was already a practicing attorney at that time, you know, barely. And I did know that if it wasn't feeling right, I mean, I, I guess one of the criticisms that I would imagine that people that know me well, particularly people that have been romantically involved with me would say like, when I'm done, I'm done. And I may not spend enough time working through things or what, because, and frankly, because I don't have to. And I'm not sure that that's the healthiest thing in the world. I'm not sure like my kids would agree with me, but I feel like I have the ability to make those decisions because I've got financial security and I've got the wealth of information that I have about the legal system and, and all of these other things. And at this age, it's really nice for me able to be like, yeah, homie don't play. And so I can go, which again, may not be the best, but that's, that's how it is. Were you always really rational about emotional decisions? Yeah. That's, that's yeah. A, probably too rational. I mean, like I said, right. I that's love, like a personality thing. Yes. Yeah. I love being in love, but I definitely am a realist. Okay. And always were. I think so. I mean, I've gotten realer as I've gotten older. So to me and any other woman, younger, older, single, non-single, dating, whatever, if you were to give them advice about, you know, I feel like a lot of a lot of my peers, there's like an overthinking problem. What would your advice be? I don't think there's anything wrong with overthinking. I mean, again, I, I don't know when the tipping point to over rather than just being thoughtful is right. hard to say, but I definitely feel like thinking things through is important. And then also taking a plunge sometimes is important. Knowing that you've got whatever the security net is, whether it's financial security, whether it's familial security, whether it's great friends as a support group, knowing that that's there will help you take those plunges. And like in very few situations, are you going to make a decision that's going to be like all or nothing, life or death? I mean, very few. Most of the time, Whatever you do, like they say, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. So maybe you take the wrong path. You can correct. I mean, that is the good thing about being where we are in society at this time. People 
recreate themselves all the time. Women start new careers after a certain period. I mean, the world is our oyster. We have so many other opportunities that we as women didn't have 50 years ago and even humans didn't have because of the technology and where we can work and what we've learned about being able to do. So I say, you know, grab that opportunity and go for it. Figure out what you want to do. And yeah, it might change. You might have made the wrong decision, but whatever decision you made, whatever experience you had, that's going to make you who you are in your next incarnation. And it's fine. Right. And it's helpful ultimately. So one of the questions I had is obviously you're a very successful divorce attorney to the stars and all of that, but you could have just like stayed in that kind of cushier job, but instead you also went to create a scalable version of this called It's Over Easy, which then sold to divorce.com, right? Yes. So first of all, like, how do you like have the level of innovation to just be like, well, like, yeah, I am at this like big corporate lawyer and done Britney Spears and all that, but then I'm also going to create something scalable and make it like more accessible to those who maybe can't afford my salary. Because as Jasmine said, divorce is the great equalizer. When I got divorced, I had no money. I can't imagine paying a lawyer a thousand dollars an hour to help me like divide up our credit card debt and, and like the lease on the house that we were in. Like, it's just unfathomable. And so when you really think, and, and because I went through it and because remember, I started practicing when I had a lot of friends that were getting married and then they went through it. So I was constantly giving free advice to people who could never afford the rates of my firm at that time or now. And so I'm always mindful. And then I do a lot of nonprofit work. There's a the Harriet Buhai Center for Family Law in Los Angeles, um, Levitt and Quinn, and it's not because I'm such a nice person. It's just because I really do think that there's something inherently wrong with, for probably 75% of the people who get divorced, they really could do it themselves. And I feel that the work that we did at It's Over Easy and now at divorce.com gives people, what's the expression? Like if you, if you buy somebody a fish, then, you, you know, they have one fish. fish. If you yeah. teach them how to fish. I'm not saying people need to get divorced all the time because what, yay, we know how to do it now, but there's something about figuring out what your own financial situation is and figuring out what the law is regarding custody and knowing that and being able to do it yourself and apply that, which I think really starts people off on their next chapter the right way. It's so empowering. So that was always a turn on to me. And I really thought it wasn't so much a money-making opportunity as it was Impact. kind of, yeah, good karma, spreading the wealth and figuring out a better way to approach divorce. Because again, a lot of people are going through it. When you were going through your divorce and you had no money, were you like, fuck? Yes. But it wasn't like he had any money either. So it wasn't right. like, oh, I'm walking away from my source of security. Okay. So I didn't have to make that choice. And I've seen many people making that choice or being in a situation where you have a pot that you need to divide. Like we had nothing. So it, it, was, it wasn't So how hard. did you deal with all the like criticism or judgment that came around you? How did you block There wasn't as much as you would imagine. Because okay. again, it was 1994. My dad was a divorce lawyer. Like oh, I wow. think probably, and p the people who knew me probably weren't that surprised and again, they weren't saying anything to me. Like my parents were a little bit disappointed, but they weren't particularly surprised. Okay, and how about people who like took issue with the, or whatever, had issues, judged whatever, are you having a son with someone who you're not married to? I do remember that when I was pregnant with Luke, my older son, I started wearing a ring on this finger just because I didn't want people looking at me, you know, and, and I don't know if I would do that today. But I was in my 30s, I was pregnant, you have hormones, you're not secure. You know, I knew in my heart, because David had given me a beautiful ring, like we could have gotten married. We just opted not to. We, the love was there, the commitment was there. But yeah, I mean, I'd tell you a great example. And since you're getting into the school game soon, 
when I was pregnant with my second son, Jack, I was visibly showing. But David and I were going all to all the interviews for Luke starting kindergarten. And there were a couple of interviews that we went to. One, the director wasn't there that day. So one of the older pre-directors did our interview. And everybody that would meet with us would say, oh, congratulations, you guys are having another one. And David would go, that one's not mine. And so most of the people were totally chill and they were like, oh, interesting, whatever, you know, I mean, this is the land of surrogacy and, you know, mixed couples and whatever. But this one man couldn't get over it. Like he just kept looking at my stomach and looking, like he just, he was of a different generation. He couldn't get past it. And we walked out and I was like, he's not going there. And he's like, no, he certainly isn't. But on that same note, when we picked the school that we ultimately did pick and Luke started, it turns out Now, this is a little bit later. This is when Jack, my younger son, was in kindergarten. So Luke was already older. He was at the same school. I was in a trial up in Northern California, which I really didn't do very often when my kids were that small. And Jack's dad was somewhere, but it came to be that we couldn't go to circle time, which is every morning. I mean, if it was important, I was there, but circle time was every morning. And David, my older son's father, went to circle time with Jack my younger son. That's how tight we are. That's how much of a community, you know, they say it takes a village. That is how much it's important to me that, you know, I'm like, if my, you know, David got married last year to Sam's sister, it's all of these people in your community that love your kids and that care about your kids. And that's what's important. And so that's kind of the full circle of one school that like was looking at me funny because I was pregnant with another man's child while we were at the interview to the school where they knew David from the older kid, embraced him when he came in to sit with my younger son. And, you know, we're all there for everybody's graduations. Yeah. I think what you do is like you really own it and you have this degree of confidence around it that it makes other people like kind of like, oh yeah, that's totally cool. But I think if you were like, well, I don't know if this is good, like this is kind of unconventional, then I, I think other people are quicker to judge in that regard. Yeah. So like, I mean, divorce, even if it's not doomsday anymore, we're, we're changing that taboo. It's heavy. And you see people at their most vulnerable and ugliest. I have a lot of questions about that. Like, that's a lot of energy. And I know, you know, you try and keep those boundaries of not being someone's therapist, but how do you take care of yourself? I drink a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But I also really surround myself with a lot of joy. I mean, yes, people are going through unhappy times or change and more than, I mean, I think there's a sadness to it, but again, most of those people are like, it's so sad. It's the ending of something. I'm like, no, it isn't. He's still going to be there. You're still going to be dealing with him. If you can turn that into something that's like a nice thing. And then also whatever this next phase is, even though it can be scary, it also can be very exciting. And then, like I said, I surround myself with joy. I've got great friends. My kids are amazing. I'm usually in a relationship with somebody that's great. And so that helps. And I am very protective over that, like in my family and my time and doing things that like make me feel happy so that I can then balance you know, the disappointment that I'm constantly in contact with. Also, I really do, and I've spoken with colleagues about this too, rather than seeing ourselves as like the angel of doom or death, we're problem solvers. You're mm-hmm. in this situation. Like if I was a marriage counselor, I might feel differently about this because I keep seeing all these people and their marriages are ending. I'm like, that's not great. Mm-hmm. I'm a divorce lawyer. By the time they get to me, they're already at this point. I mean, some of them figure out ways to stay together. Don't get me wrong. But for the most part, they're like, help us disentangle, split up money, keep as much of it for ourselves and our kids as we can, as opposed to spending it on litigation and other stuff. 
that kind of makes me feel good. I'm like, I'm helping them through a difficult situation. And I had a client that I, in 2021, represented. It was really ugly case. It was miserable. He was very high profile. It was, you know, and I hadn't, I don't think I've spoken to him now probably in like almost a year. He texted me this morning. Hey, Laura, it's so-and-so. I woke up thinking about you. Just wanted to say hi and thanks for everything. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. It's the little things like that. Or somebody sends you a Christmas card with a picture of their kid on it every year and you watch that kid grow up when you know he probably wouldn't have gotten 50-50 custody if you weren't helping him problem solve. That's huge. Yeah. Well, there's a world where you, you can move from case to case and be hardened by this, right? right? And be like, oh, cynical, what's the point, blah, 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 not to quote our own podcast name. But, you know, like there is that reality. And it seems like from what it sounds like, you're in the exact opposite position where you're like, life goes on, things are good. It's also a beginning. And like for your own personal experience, moving from partner to partner, did you ever have fear of, you know, is this the right choice? Am I going to be able to date after with a kid? Like, I know this is things that women think about. Yeah, that first like sexual experience post C section. <laughs> but again, you overcome the hurdle and you're like, wow, I did it. I look great. You know, yeah. I mean, even now I'm like, okay, well, who am I going to grow old with? Like, when is the game of um, musical chairs going to be up for me? Am I, am I still going to be attractive enough to find somebody if this relationship doesn't work out? Like, it was always fine. It never, it never bothered me that I was a divorcee or that I had a kid or that I had two kids or that I was a divorce lawyer. Now we're like getting old, you know, what if I have to walk with a cane or if I, you know, I'm in a wheelchair, who's going to take care of me? Yeah, you think those things, but they can't paralyze you and you have to kind of move through them. I, I'm sure I talk a big game. There's definitely days where I'm like, it's, it's, it's all terrible and no one will ever love me and whatever, yeah. of course. But this is the quote that I wanted to read you guys because I think that it makes so much difference. And my older son's name is Luke, but his middle name is Emerson because his dad and I both love Ralph Waldo Emerson. And one of these things that particularly for moms, okay, because if you, and if you're working moms even more so, this quote like has really stuck with me. Finish each day and be done with it. You have done what you could. Some blunders and absurdities have crept in. Forget them as soon as you can. Tomorrow is a new day. You shall begin it serenely and with too high a spirit to be encumbered with your old nonsense. And you have to really like, I guess it's basically like tomorrow is a new day or today is the first day of the rest of your life, but you can't get bogged down on what has already happened. You got to move through. And I think most of the time, if you then look back, you'll be like. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Did okay. I was all right. Yeah. I've, I've heard a quote that said something like, you're doing better than you think you are. Yeah. And it is so true. And you, usually you can only see that in hindsight. But yeah, I think that that is powerful is like staying... It's a really forward. powerful quote. It like relates a lot to parenting, I feel like. Just like getting up every day, it's, it's a new day. Yeah, so many people will say to me like, how, how do you keep all the balls in the air? How are you a working mom? You know, how does that work? And yeah, there's some days where I just like literally will dissolve into a glass of red wine and I'm like, I suck. My work sucks. My kids suck. It's terrible. And then there are some days where I really do go to bed going, it was a good day. I got all the appointments done. We finished the homework. Everybody had a full balanced meal. They're in bed now. (laughs) I didn't blow any deadlines. It's going to be okay. So speaking of parenting, I know in your career, you probably deal with a lot of kids who are mixed into the, you know, issues of the divorce. All that you're learning from your career, how do you bring that back to yourself as a parent and as a mom? Do you learn anything by seeing all these kids go through the divorces that you bring home? Or is there some sort of like something that's going on at work that you kind of bring back from what you're learning? Not as much with the kids as you would think. I mean, I definitely think it helps to be a parent doing what I do because then I can actually say to people, like, you know, keep your kids out of it. I never meet the kids. I mean, I hear about the kids. I see pictures, but I don't meet the kids. I don't want to talk to the kids. Your kids should not be talking to your divorce lawyer. Um, but <laughs> Things have gone really weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The but they do, or sometimes they'll write me a letter or oh. the mom will call and say, so-and-so wants to talk to you. And I'm like, no, I do not want to talk to him. I don't want to hear what he has to say. I'm your lawyer and you shouldn't involve the kids. I mean, I, more than anything, I think it's taught me what not to do and how I have, like, I've never spoken badly about either of the boys' dads to them. I'm sure I've spoken badly about them to some of my girlfriends. You get through it, but just really taking the high road and speaking with, you know, respect about your co-parent. Because remember, your kids are half of each of you. So if you're talking shit about his dad, he takes that to heart. Because he feels like it's partially him. They have to. Same goes for mom. And I've I've just seen people do terrible, terrible things. Like usually, actually the good news is that in the past 30 years, I really feel like people have evolved in the custody situations, particularly in Southern California. Most people now kind of come to me with, we know we're sharing equal custody. Like it's very rare that someone will be like, oh, he only gets them on the weekends and Wednesdays. That's just so outdated. So unless you're really living far away from each other, and I mean like in a different state, then usually we can figure something out. But I mean, when I was younger, I would have terrible, terrible custody battles. And one that I'll never forget was, you know, it was in the days of the old like um, answering machines that you like had to push this thing that wasn't just voicemail. (laughs) And my client was a guy and he called me up and he goes, you just, you got to hear this. You have to hear what I'm experiencing right now to know. And he presses play and it's the wife. And she's like, you know, you're such a fucking piece of shit. Fuck you, you and your small dick. Everybody hates you. You're such a loser. I mean, on and on and on, like literally for five minutes, just like that kind of vitriol. And at the end, she says, and everybody hates you. And then right before she slams the phone down, you hear, 
I don't hate you, daddy. Oh my God. The kid was there the whole time listening to that whole thing. Oh God. Yeah. Well, that's the thing though. Breakups, heartbreak, betrayal, all of these things, money being involved, like it brings out such an ugly side. I can imagine, or it can. It can. And our job as family law attorneys is to be the voice of reason. And the problem is that when you are a voice of reason and when you are problem solving and when you are conflict averse, you are not making as much money as when you are churning and stirring the pot and saying, oh, well, let's take that recording and let's take it to the judge and let's do this and an affidavit. Instead, you just say, God, how how sad for her and how sad for your kid too. And hopefully you'll have an opportunity to speak with him at some point and say that, you know, you know that he heard that and that wasn't right and whatever. But like, Divorce lawyers make money from the conflict that the clients are embroiled in. Our job is to tone it down, calm things down, and work out a reasonable solution because we aren't going through that heartbreak or fear or whatever they're going through because it's not happening to us. And Mm -hmm. we know the law and we've done it before. That's our job. Yeah. But you're a human being and you like have that humanity. You can like hear the kid in the back and feel for them. Hats, right? As you said, like when you heard that recording, you had compassion and love instead of like, okay, how am I going to use this? Right. Like all this stuff. Right. Wow. I feel like a lot of women, especially, which we've touched on, are taught that marriage is the destination. It's success. It's like you have a man by your side. It's the picture of success. Like not only what would you say to that, but like how has that changed for you? If that was ever your ethos or one of your values, like how has that changed for you? I don't think it ever was. I think my parents did a really good job of being like, look, you can, what was the phrase that people used to say all the time in the seventies, a woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle. In other words, we don't need a bicycle. <laughs> the fish need doesn't need a bicycle. It's always nice. I mean, I almost always am in some kind of a romantic mm-hmm. relationship because it's nice to be with somebody. And I definitely get that kind of fairy tale princess, like the goal is the wedding or, you know, first the goal is the engagement. Then the goal is the wedding. Then the goal is the kids. I get it. I mean, I'm not like, I don't like sit there and scratch my head and go, how could somebody feel that way? (laughs) Of course, I totally get it. That's how we were all raised in this culture. It's changing a little bit, but it's not changing that much. And remember, I came up in a day that was just on the heels of you had to make a decision whether you were going to be a career woman or a mom. You could not have both. I mean, I don't know if you're watching or if you read lessons in chemistry, but like I get so frustrated for her because I'm like, oh my God, poor thing. Like you can have both. Many women have both. Like now I'm dealing with a lot of women who come to me that are the breadwinner and they'll say, I need to get divorced. He never really made it past, you know, when we were in business school and we were both the stars of our class. He's been on the couch and his boxers ever since. Help me out of this. And so I'll be like, okay, so we're going to divide everything and you're probably going to have to pay him some child support and some spousal support. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm the woman. And I'm like, yeah, but you're the breadwinner. The law is, you know, genderless. And she's like, am I going to have to like split my 401k? And I'm like, yeah, you are. So that's the new, like, oh shit, now I've done everything. And now am I going to get, like, now I know what these guys have been pissed off about for so long. The other interesting thing is I'll speak with women's conferences and women that are working. I'll say to them, okay, raise your hand. If you're the breadwinner in your family, they'll raise their hand. Or even if you just work, raise their hand. Now raise your hand if you're still the person that makes the lunches, organizes the play dates, hires the babysitters, does the parent-teacher conferences, and they raise their hands. And then I say, 
Now, do you do that because you have to, because he's basically said like, piss off, I'm not doing it. Or do you do that because you know you do it better and you want to? And almost always it's the latter. We want to do this stuff. We want to be part of it. We know we can do it better than they can in most instances. And so we take on that extra added responsibility. And then a lot of times we're resentful that we're doing everything. So it is, it's, it's still a sticky place. I don't have the answers. I don't know how it works. I do know that I'm a control freak and I want to make sure I'm doing the things that I want to do, but does it come with certain sacrifices? Yeah, it does. And so it is, it's an interesting paradox to look at, but I still think we're way better off than the women were in the fifties and sixties. And even frankly, in the seventies and eighties. It is such an interesting topic. And I talk about this with a lot of my friends that are in relationships, married with kids, without kids, because it's amazing that we have this opportunity as women and that we can work and we can do it all. And we want, we don't have to choose, but there are certain things that are like just more innate to women and even just like emotional labor, right? So like the thoughtfulness of that a man might not necessarily think of, right? So it's like buying a gift for your spouse's mom. Right. You know, those sorts of things like that takes effort and that takes thinking of. And I think it's, it's so interesting. I don't have the answers either, but I think about this a lot just in the sense of figuring out what the balance is and like figuring out what your roles are, because like in some ways I'm a traditionalist, right? Like I would probably have the same response. I'd be like, I'm a woman. I don't want to pay for this. Like, I don't want to pay for this man. Right. So I think it's an, but at the same time, I want to be able to work and I want to be able to make money. And I don't know if I would find it particularly for me attractive if, if I had like a Mr. Mom. Right. You know, like right. it's such an interesting thing, like, cause it moves into masculine and, and yeah, feminine. And the roles and, that we had from our childhood. Yeah. And like how flexible we can be about changing them, I think is such an interesting thing. Cause there are also there's seasons, right? Like you could be like, I want to raise my kids right now and I don't want to work. Right. But then you get back into the workforce and it's harder cause you don't have that 10, 15 years behind you. I have a lot of girlfriends right now who didn't work. I was the one who worked. They didn't work and their kids are going to college. And they're like, what am I? These are smart women. They went to college, they did well, but they made the decision that when they had kids, they were going to be the primary parent. And so now they're like, you know, we're in our fifties and they're like, what do I do? And it's hard to get back into the workforce in certain careers. So it, you know, it's all, it is all a choice. Like I said before, I don't think there's any wrong choices. I think you want to keep thinking and keep knowledgeable about certain things. I don't think any of those women would say, oh, if only I didn't raise my kids, I would have been so much more ahead at this mm-hmm. in whatever company it is right now. I do think there's some women that wish that they would have spent more time with their kids, but I also think that's changing. I think that maternity leave and being able to take time off to go to class recitals, parent-teacher conferences, whatever. We as women are demanding that more now and it's coming. So it's not like you have to give as much up. And then there's a lot of women, particularly when we all went back into the offices after COVID, who are like, I couldn't wait to get back in the office. Like, just please get me out of there. If I have to like sit through one more like music time song or video or whatever, I want to be doing work. And if I'm a bad parent because of that, so be it. But this makes me a more productive parent. And it makes me better as a parent when I am home with my kids. Yeah. And I've also seen, by the way, a lot of parents, men in particular, who when they are given those custodial days, they're their best parent selves where they never were before because there was always the mom fallback. Now they really throw themselves into being parents. I've seen dads of girls be much more sensitive, be able to have those conversations about things that our dads would never have been able to have with us because they're able to really figure out how to be on their own. And I'll say this a lot of times to moms, don't always be there. 
you're gone. This is your time to do your own thing. It's his custodial time. Let him figure it out. And they do and they're great. Yeah. There is a lot of allowing, I think, that needs to happen, like per control freak. Like I'm pretty controlling when it comes to things. And it's like my boyfriend will say, he's like, well, why don't you allow me to like take the lead? Why don't you allow me to do this? And then I'm always pleasantly surprised, but there is a level of almost retraining myself that Mm -hmm. I don't have to do everything. And I think that's a really interesting... I'm so fascinated by how, as a society, we're changing with the changing of roles and rights, honestly. I think our society is changing so much beyond that, too. I also think, like, COVID, the shift, like, more people having babies before they get married. And I think it's it's less, like, taboo, honestly, like, in the in recent years. And I'm wondering your thoughts on that, Laura, too. And, like, what needs to change in society in order for women and men to feel comfortable, like being bold and just living more unconventionally and not having to subscribe to these like quote unquote rules that we've just been brought up in. I don't know what needs to change. I think that people just have to do it. They have to go for it if they want to. Again, I think we get into those things because they're fun. They seem fun. Like a wedding seems really fun. Like I wouldn't want to give that up. But again, for me, been there, done that. I had one. I'm not one of those people that could get married like three or four times. I'd be like, oh my God, never again. Like I'll never look as good as I did in those pictures when I was 25. (laughs) Why would I want to try to squeeze myself into some white dress again? But some people, they love it. They want to keep doing it. I I don't know that that many people, at least in California, are getting married because they feel the pressure from like their families or society. I think they're getting married because it seems like a fun thing. And also there's a certain security involved, whether it's emotional security. Okay, we're coupled to death to us part. You're mine. If you cheat on me, that's it, whatever. And then there's a financial security too. Even if they both are bringing financial pleasantries to the table, there's two instead of one. And certainly if one party's earning more, then there's a financial security of like hooking your wagon to his star and knowing that he's going to support you. And he's legally obligated to not only in California share with you everything that he makes during the time that you're married, but then he's going to pay you support for the kids and you if you get divorced. That sounds like a great deal to me. If I'm not a working you know, person, why would I not want to do that? So again, and I, I'm sorry to make it sound so just cut and dry, but everything's a deal. Everything is a contract. Every relationship you have, it doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means you have to kind of know what the terms are and be able to communicate them and not pretend that that's not the case. Yeah. Do you feel like knowing what you know and then being in new relationships, do you kind of like, do you approach them differently? No, but that's because of how old I am and what people already know about me. And like, no one's asking Laura Wasser out on a date and like thinking like the goal for me is to get married. Like they already know, like there are, somebody's already said to them, oh bro, you are, you're going to get eaten alive or be careful of her or whatever. So, (laughs) so that, that comes with it usually. But yeah, I mean, I think I'm generally pretty upfront about who I am and what's important to me. Like, you know, I would never go on a date with somebody. I've never been on a dating app or anything like that, but I can't imagine like, going on a date with somebody that didn't know I had kids or like going on a date with somebody who didn't know what I did for a living. Like I, it might be an interesting practice to like totally, what's it called? Catfish somebody and be like, look, it's me. I'm a homemaker and I love Chardonnay. Take me out. But I feel like, you know, I don't have to do that kind of groundwork, which again, comes with age and just comes with being who I am at this point. Do you think that you're more forgiving in relationships because of what you've seen or less? Probably more. I mean, I do get people's foibles. I get people are going through difficult times. I get that people were all kind of just doing the best they can. And it's not just because of what I've seen in my work. It's just what I've seen in my years of being a human, also in kind of a crazy world. It's not just being a divorce lawyer. It's being a divorce lawyer in Hollywood. 
And you really do see a lot of very kind of entitled people. We all live way beyond what we probably ever thought we would end up living. Things are crazier than they were when we were kids. Like you were saying about your elementary school, like I know my parents said that a lot about me when I was growing up. Like, I can't believe, I don't think my dad ever told me he walked to school through the snow because he also grew up in Southern California. (laughs) But it's that kind of a thing. Like I look at our kids now and the lives that they have and what they've been exposed to even at a young age is kind of crazy. And so you have to take that into consideration. Everybody's gone through or is going through something. And that you try not to judge too much and you try to just take people at face value. So how do you raise your kids and how do you have the conversation about marriage and how it all works like with your kids? Like when they see like people with a traditional mom and dad and then come home and you, what do you explain to them so that they see that they don't have to live any certain way. They choose to live however they feel authentically fits their life. I think in so many words, I said that to them when they were little. Each of them were two when I parted ways with their dads. Okay. So although their dads were always and still are always like at my house, my house has kind of always been the hub so that they don't really know any other way. But I do know that when my older son, I think was in kindergarten, they were talking about like, you know, your mom and your dad and whatever. And, and something, somebody was like, you know, your, oh, your mom, your mom's husband or your mom, or your parents are married or, and he said, no, my mom's not married. And they said, well, why not? And he goes, that's not how she rolls. And which I thought was really funny. He must've heard me say that at some point. Uh I don't even know if he knew what that meant, but the teacher thought it was hilarious. My kids have only known me and their dads as we are kind of in our situation. So I don't, I don't think they think about it too much. I do know that we've had conversations before about like working moms and a mom that's like the breadwinner. And I think that they're proud of me. They they know that I've never missed anything that they had that was important to them. And again, that also comes from maybe having kids a little bit later. Like I didn't have my older son until I was 35, 36 and my younger son until I was like 40 or 41. So I was already at a point in my firm where I could be like, I got to go to this, you know, assembly or whatever. But I feel like they are proud of me. And I mean, I'll come to school and I'll be like wearing a suit with like, you know, Louboutin heels and walking in and they'll say, all the other moms like say, you're so pretty or like all the dads are afraid of you or whatever they say, (laughs) you know, and they, they're proud of that. That's so beautiful. And you're also an amazing role model for them to see. Well, I think definitely they will probably end up with strong women or super submissive women <laughs> yeah, being like, oh, gonna... fuck, get my, I don't want to end up with my mother. <laughs> it's going to literally swing either way, like yeah. both extremes. How would you define for your personal life, like a successful relationship? I think a successful relationship, and I am in one right now, is someone who really, we really support each other. We share things. I mean, we both have kids. It's interesting. Like I was thinking about it when I was talking, like he loves to cook. He loves it. Like I, I will like, I will put things together, but I'm not really a good cook. He loves to cook. He loves to clean. It's like his kind of love language. (laughs) And so, and I love to eat. So that's great. But but, between us, we've got five kids, sometimes six if my stepdaughter's in town. So like, that's like a huge thing for me. I have no desire to like cook a full meal, clean it up. It sounds terrible to me. He likes that. So it's that idea of like, and again, being able to be communicative, giving me a lot of space. Cause right now in my life, I do need space. I've got one son that's living in Europe. I've got one son that's going through his teens. I've got a lot of work commitments, whatever. And I think that at that relationship is really successful. And I don't ever feel, and I have in past relationships at times, insecure about who I am or what I bring to the table or what might be going on when I'm not with him. I don't know if that's me, if that's just him making me feel super secure. I try to do the same really trying to kind of give 
to him what he gives me and kind of do some good messaging about what is important to me. I think also as you get older, you're able to articulate that better than you do when you're younger. I mean, I'll say exactly how I feel about something. And sometimes I'll be like, whoa. And I know that maybe that comes from the fact that before me, he was dating someone younger. He's like, I really appreciate you telling me that. Like it took me aback at first, but I thank you for saying that. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And you also know yourself more as you get older and you know how to articulate it. Do you feel like that a lot of men, this is like kind of off topic, but do you feel like a lot of men are dating younger women? Do I feel like that? I know that. That's a fact. That's a fact. I mean, I can't tell if it's just like the bubble I'm living in. And that's why I ask. But I, yeah, that's always so interesting. No, wait. Wait till you get in your 50s and 60s. No, I'm There's not a 50 or 60-year-old female mate to be found. Does that make you feel like pessimistic or optimistic or nothing? It's just an interesting observation. It's an interesting and I have thing. a lot of clients that are like a few years older than me, like in their 60s, and they'll be dating women in their 30s. And they'll say like, well, are you, I don't want you to judge me, but or whatever. And I'm like, no, bro, I, I understand. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to date somebody that much younger, but I do understand why they do. They've reached a certain point in their career and what they want is... And again, a lot of these women may be perfectly fine and mature and sophisticated and great. And mm-hmm. then some people just want candy. They want yeah, TV. Say, like you go home at night and you turn on the TV and you watch fluff. That's what they want in their relationship. I, yeah. That's not what I want. So that's why I'm not dating fluff. But they're entitled to want that. They work yeah. really hard. Yeah. So you clearly wear a lot of like roles. Like you have different businesses, you know, you're a friend, you're a partner, you're a mom, you're an entrepreneur, you're so many different things. Like how do you, (laughs) how do you stay present in all of the things? So like when you come home and you're with your kids, maybe not as relevant now because they're like older, but like- I want nothing to do with me. (laughs) When you come home, like how do you, because I have this all the time too. It's like, I try not to carry the things that happen in my day when I come home and be with Gemma. And sometimes it's really hard to not grab your phone and like want to finish work email when like, this is the moment, like this is what it's all about. Right. And so how do you like, when you come home, you're, you're a mom. And when you are at work, you're focused on work. Like, I know it's not always perfect, but like. Well, that's the thing. It's not always perfect. And sometimes I will finish a a work email. And Gemma's too young to know the difference. And then when they're 13, they're in their room with the door closed on their phone. (laughs) So so it doesn't matter. (laughs) And the middle part. And yeah, I do absolutely remember both of my kids saying to me like, mom, get off your phone or mom, whatever. And I'll be like, just one minute because this call or this text is paying for your phone or whatever. You have to explain that. And then you also, you do for for yourself and for them to be present. Because again, it doesn't last forever. It is fleeting, but don't be so hard on yourself. Because if you're sitting there and the phone's there and you're like, we don't use phones at the dinner table and you're eating your dinner and you're like, just fucking go finish the text message or the email and be done with it. And then read that quote to yourself again and say like, be done with it. (laughs) Like I couldn't, you're not perfect. And being present in the moment means doing what you need to do so that you can be present in the moment. And knowing that about yourself, I think is important. It's just, it's not perfect. And like I said, there's going to be days where you're going to feel horrible. And then there's going to be days where you're going to be like, "Mm, I'm doing okay. Did a great job today. Yeah. I feel like you have a very good sense of, and you must like not being judgmental with yourself and others and really accepting kind of the reality, even the way you speak about, you're like, yeah, if you want to date someone who's way younger, that's fine. Like just having that and having that for yourself, I think is I think if you are able to kind of feel that way about other people, you're a lot easier on yourself and Mm -hmm. you'll be like, okay, that doesn't work for me, but I'm cool with you doing it. And then maybe when it comes around, you're like, maybe I will date somebody younger. Let's see. (laughs) Like, because I didn't have that like venom and judgment of somebody Mm -hmm. else, it's easier for you. And I feel like really, I think you were touching on this at one point, like being able to just also have 
physical activities, doing things you like, you know, working out, whatever it is, if it's yoga, if it's meditation, doing things that kind of take you out of that moment for a second so that you can blow off whatever steam it is or inhale whatever. I'm not a yoga person or a meditation person, by the way, but like I'm a runner, you know, and I do Pilates and I'm, I'm an ocean. I like to swim in the ocean and that kind of find what works for you. And it may change over time. Like do those things. Yeah. So you can care of yourself. Amazing. This has been honestly amazing. Yeah, um, I'm going to definitely be uh, messaging you as my daughter grows up. <laughs> um, okay. So the last question we always ask our guests is what's the point? The point is really paying it forward and then celebrating it, I think. Yeah, definitely. And everyone listening, this was so thoughtful. Thank, Thank you, you so much. You're welcome.